This is Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. Insights to give your business the inside track. And now, here's your host, Joel Block. How often do you wake up in the morning and ask yourself, what part of my marketing is working? You might think, we have many campaigns, many products, and we operate in many geographies. How do we keep an eye on all of it? And how do we know which aspects to keep supporting with our limited resources? To answer those questions, Will Perry. Will, welcome to the show. Hey, Joel. Good to be here with you. So this, uh, listen, these are these are big questions. They're, they're partly philosophical and they're very real and tactical. Uh, companies are spread thin. They're, they're doing all kinds of stuff. Uh, you know, the old adage is, uh, I know my marketing is working. I just don't know which half or, or whatever <laughs> the old saying is. That's pretty cool. You, you can help people get better at that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so to answer that question or help, you know, get things, some things rolling here with the question of, I know, I, I don't know what part of my marketing is working or actually working. It comes down to a strategy that we implement for small and middle market sized brands that we call closed loop funnels. You know, funnels have often a sort of dirty connotation for lack of better words sometimes with bigger companies. But it's those bigger companies that often come to us and, and tell us about how they can't track their marketing. Okay, wait, wait. So, so wait, 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 wait. before you go into what yeah. the strategy is, tell us what a funnel is, just so that we're all on the same page. Yeah, great, great question. I, it's actually been a long time since I've actually had to describe that from like the elementary level. So a funnel is essentially a step-by-step path that you would lead a prospect, a customer on a specific detailed journey where there's a series of steps, you know, leading from, for example, like an ad to a landing page, to a checkout page, an upsell and that sort of thing. So at its simplest level, a funnel is really just a two or three step process that someone goes through from converting into being a prospect or like a lead or a customer. So, you know, and and from a visual point of view, a whole bunch of people go to the top, but only the qualified ones get through the bottom. And there's some qualification that gets them between the top level and, and what, what escapes to the next level. Yeah, that's exactly it. Okay. So, uh, all right. So that's funnels. So basically it's a qualification mechanism. I mean, salespeople, uh, every salesperson in the world uses qualification, you know, so there's no reason that companies would be afraid of funnels because funnels are uh, really an automated way of qualifying people. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, in sales, you know, you might have a two or three step sales process where, you know, you might have an appointment setter, they do an initial light qualification. That's step one, right? Same thing in marketing. Step two in that sales process could be, you know, an initial two step, you know, discovery where, you know, you pitch someone and then you have sort of a proposal or some sort of like decision or recap call. So that's a three-step funnel in a sales process where you would take a lead, you know, whether it's inbound or cold call, you'd work them through, you know, some sort of qualification. Then the sales team or the closer gets a hold of it. You know, maybe it's a one-call close or a two-call close, depending on the complexity of the sales process. And yeah, so it's very similar to how we execute that on the marketing side, whether, you know, we're selling products online or whether we're building a funnel for lead gen, you know, for some of these brands. So, but what you're describing that that's when the salespeople are involved, that's kind of, kind of a manual process. We're talking about some kind of a digital and automated process 
Correct. People can get through it, even if they don't get to the close, even if they just get to the uh, the place where they just express some interest for a salesperson to speak with them. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So a really common, so to tie sort of that sales and marketing component together, a very common um, funnel type um, in the B2B or service side of business is sort of what we call a call funnel or an application funnel. And so, for example, we run application funnels for our online coaching program that's targeted towards training marketers and media buyers how to be elite in media buying. And what, what that funnel looks like is essentially, just like you said, it's an ad, for example, a Facebook ad, drums up a lot of curiosity, highlights some sort of problem or pain point. It drives them then to a landing page. From the funnel side of things, this would be called like an opt-in page, for example. So the first conversion point would be for them to opt-in, you know, maybe opt-in to a strategy call or a discovery call. And this is where the sales process part side of things starts to take in, um, come into play. So they might give, you know, their first name, last name, phone number, email. From the marketing side of things, you know, the marketing funnel did its first piece of work where it's a simple two-step application funnel. That person opts in. They then have the opportunity to schedule a call directly with the sales team. And then the sales process takes over. Um, you know, there would be a discovery call and then a close. Um, okay. So, so yeah, that's a pretty simple two-step funnel in that situation. Okay. So, so what you're describing, what I hear you describing is kind of a hybrid where the, the automation uh, delivers the prospect and then maybe a salesperson closes on a, on a company uh, or, or on, on whoever that prospect is, Yep. Uh, which is fine. You can use these funnels in a, in a hundred ways. It can be a self-service close, could be a, a, an assisted close with a salesperson. Um you know, the first question I want to ask, though, is you said Facebook ads. That immediately makes me think of consumers, B2C. Yeah. Um, how does it work in a B2B environment? Does this still apply in a B2B environment? Not that it doesn't, but yeah. when you bring up Facebook, that immediately makes me think of something away from B2B. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, we run a ton of B2B on the agency side of the business where we're doing lead gen or things like that. You know, even in this scenario where like, you know, that I just described, you know, you could be a solar company, you know, running ads to get leads to book calls. And that would be a B2B. Well, I guess that's technically B2C. But if you are, you know, for example, here you go. If we run, so we run ads for a service-based business that sells to other e-commerce businesses to basically recruit talent for them. So in that scenario, you're marketing directly to another business that is also a call funnel, for example. I mean, there's definitely for sure plenty of examples where you'd have a simple opt-in or application funnel where it then goes to a manual sales process, process like you were referring to. And then even in B2B as well, there's plenty of situations where, you know, even if it's service-based, you could sell services online to other businesses through a series of steps and where funnels are really powerful is, especially if you're B2B, you can have the initial step being an opt-in for a lead. Then the next step, you could start positioning, you know, higher ticket offers to those individuals. Maybe it's a, a $10 offer, then a hundred dollar offer, and then a thousand dollar offer. You can slice and dice that a variety of different ways. We call that a value ladder or an ascension model where you could take someone from lead into paying customer through this funnel as well. And that's the beauty of where it's all automated. 
So before I get too deep down that rabbit hole, I can see, you know, you might have a couple questions about that. Yeah. So, so a couple things. So uh, first let's, let's just go back to step one. They, yep. they see an ad, they see a problem, uh, whoever it is, whether it's a business consumer or a or a, or a regular consumer, they say, you know, this is an interesting uh, solution. I'd like to learn more about it. They go to a web page, and the web web page says, uh, you know, uh, we have a white paper we've written on this topic. Uh, give us your information, and we'll give you the white paper. And I've always heard that's called an ethical bribe. Uh, is, is that is that technology? <laughs> is that sort of thing still happening, or do you, is there different terminology for it? Or yeah, I, I would say in the digital marketing world, we call that like a lead magnet. Um, so a lead magnet would be a very high converting, low risk offer. In this scenario, it's a white paper, like you're saying. It could be an ebook, it could be a swipe file, a PDF download, some sort of, you know, value where you know it's not the only thing that I'm asking for you to exchange is an email address, for example. Um, let's talk about the value of databases because you know, you know, I mean, if companies that are in the habit of uh, doing uh, image advertising and they, they run ads on TV or radio or whatever. They're not necessarily building lists. Yeah. And so, you know, to me, that's, that makes their advertising spend an expense. But yep. when you capture a lead, you know, a name of a person, whether they buy or not, you now have an, an, an asset, this database. What are you seeing companies building these databases? Like maybe sometimes for the first time, I mean, how are they thinking about this? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's where like a lot of like medium sized businesses kind of go wrong is they don't, there's a, there's two types of marketing, right? We, you've got like brand awareness and then you've got direct response. And, you know, for anyone who's running, they might even be running Facebook ads for awareness, or they might be running, you know, TV ads or et cetera. But if there's not that component of the opt-in or what we technically call like the co-reg complete registration, to your point, it's, you're kind of not maximizing the marketing dollars that you're putting into this brand awareness. Like why not position that brand awareness into a direct response sort of vehicle where not only are we getting brand awareness out of it at the same time, but we are collecting information that we can continue to remarket to those individuals. You know, whether that's, you know, the example, like you said, getting this free PDF download where we can then series fire a series of email automations for additional offers in the future. Or if it's in what we call a closed loop funnel on the front end of the acquisition part of the user experience, maybe they opt in for the white paper or the ebook or the PDF download. And then we work on upselling them into some other products or services while they're still in this first initial experience, that's where a funnel can be very powerful is you run a TV ad, that TV ad says, go to www.ebook.com, super simple example, to get the white paper. You opt into the white paper, that's step one. Step two is, hey, we're actually giving 50% off our done with you service for a limited time only in the month of March. You know. Click to click to sign up to have an advisor call you, for example, then that fires sort of a manual sales process. So there's a lot of ways to sort of set up this structure. But I'm a big advocate of direct response marketing because um, I'm not really a big fan or big proponent of, of branding in the sense of like pushing a message. 
we're underutilizing our ad dollars and our marketing if we are not turning it into something at the very first touch. Um, and so that's why funnels can really help, especially with medium-sized businesses, is we spend so much money, tens of millions of dollars that we, that we can't track. Well, not only, that, not only that you can't track, but if the person doesn't raise their hand, because today's right. not the right day and the, the right day is tomorrow and they saw the ad today and they forget the ad tomorrow, you, know, you have no right. way of going back to that person. And right. so, you know, I, this to me, what you're describing is kind of a hybrid. It's, it's taking uh, brand awareness advertising and bringing it to life so you can continue to drip on the people. I mean, I, I think that's the way uh, many 100%. companies should do it. I mean, it's Absolutely. to me, it's, it's awesome. Well, yeah. I mean, think about it, right? Like if, if I'm a CMO or even a CEO or C-level executive at a $50 million business and I'm spending X amount of dollars on my advertising and I have this problem of, I don't know what's working with my marketing. It's actually pretty simple. Like you have an offer and acquisition strategy problem, right? So like we are literally putting the wrong offer in our ads that we are then not able to track after the point that we run the ad. So it really starts at the root of what is the actual approach to the actual campaign. And instead of running, you know, trying to promote this service just generically, why would we not have some sort of offer that takes this generic brand awareness and triggers someone into a low risk conversion, even if it is a PDF download, I think one of the best huge advertisers that we all are probably familiar with that has done this really well is a company called Bosley, Bosley for Men. It's the hair regeneration sort of offer that has been running probably ever since I was a kid. I mean, we're probably talking 30 plus years uh, on TV, right? And the offer from the ad is a free information kit. Text 12345 to get the free information kit. So not only are they developing brand awareness for the Bosley regeneration hair for men, whatever the thing is, I don't even know the offer that well, but they are firing that brand awareness directly into a direct response campaign where they are now collecting the phone number through SMS that they can then follow up with through remarketing in a variety of ways to potentially turn that into a converting customer and they can actually track that. Well, you know, and what's interesting about that is that uh, let's say that, uh, you know, <laughs> in, in uh, this year, this one year, you uh, you got plenty of hair and a couple of years later, you don't have too much hair. Uh, they're still yeah. marketing to you and right. you've raised your hand to get on their list. And right. so they can they can go on for years. I mean, if it's going, you know, you keep the same phone number for 20 years, they, they can stay in touch with you for 20 years. Yep, exactly. And that's sort of like the root of what we call a closed loop funnel. So basically what a closed loop funnel is, and that's really the true solution to tracking marketing that we are having difficulty tracking, especially at the bigger levels when we're ha we have so many marketing activities. A closed loop funnel is something very simple to the sense of, and I'll break it back down to basics, just like with the Facebook ad. You know, maybe I'm a $50 million a year SaaS company, or maybe I'm a $50 million a year apparel brand. So I have this offer and I want to run Facebook ads on this offer. So what I would do is, is I would have a, a unique URL for where this traffic is going to run. I will have a unique product SKU 
that I will only promote through this landing page, through this ad. And then when I convert sales from this Facebook ad on this ad channel, I will know that it can be attributed directly back to this landing page, to this ad. And at its simplest level, that is what a closed loop funnel is. It's being able to close the loop from the traffic or the visitor or the prospect leaving the actual asset. So instead of a website where they can click on a hundred different things, there is one core focus. And the difference between brand awareness and direct response is that direct response always has one call to action, one clear message, one clear offer. And so if I'm running an ad and I have a marketing campaign that's promoting this new sweatshirt, apparel brand example, and I can only get this new sweatshirt at www.newsweatshirt.com and the unique product SKU is NW100. What did I say? New sweatshirt, NW, NSW, NSW1001. And I have, and I can, that SKU only gets sold from this landing page, from this ad channel, from this ad. I now have a direct way through a closed loop funnel where I can track those sales from a specific marketing activity. And I'm not relying on my website, which has a hundred different places that could distract my potential customer. Their only focus is to buy this one thing. If they don't buy, I can still fire a remarketing campaign to market to them later with that same exact product. Yeah, but I, I imagine that the advertising agencies that set up the first kind that you were just describing, they would say, yeah. look, yesterday you had uh, you know $100 in sales. Uh, yeah. The day we run the ads, you've got $1,000 in sales. So clearly it was 10 times more effective than whatever you were doing before. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, so yeah. they, they may not be able to put their finger on it. So how much better? Tell, tell us specifically how much better is what you're doing and why is it better? I mean, at the end of yeah. the day, you made, made an extra bunch of money. What difference does it make where the people come from? I mean, I, and I'm kind of playing devil's advocate there, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's better because then I can go spend 10 times more money on the thing that I know is working 100% definitively. Right. So like instead of instead of playing this guesswork of one of the terms that I love that marketers use is what we call the halo effect. So the halo effect is I run ads and then I generally see sales increase. Right. Or or like brand impressions or brand recall in my world, I could give. two. I don't care. <laughs> I was going to, you know, drop a couple expletives there for you, but I don't want to turn anybody off from the podcast. But, um, you know, I only want to be able to track everything down to the, at least the ad or the campaign or something from which that I ran it. Because when I know it's working, I'll go 10X my investment into that activity or into that funnel, for example, or into that offer, because I can definitively track it. And then if I'm a CMO, sure as heck makes them look good when they go back to the CEO and they're like, hey, uh, our ROI is up 100% on this offer specifically. And I can tell you exactly why it's working, how it's working, where it's working, when it's working, et cetera. You know, it also uh, seems to me that if they bought the sweatshirt using the uh, the tracking data, yeah. the next month you could send them outside and say, hey, by the way, we just come out with this other new sweatshirt. So again, yep. rather than it being a one-time expense, you now have converted that into a long-term investment because yep. now you're building something that you can stay in touch with people. Yeah. And as you know, especially at the higher levels of business, segmentation and personalization is where you really start to maximize 
revenue potential. And so to your point and to your credit, you know, the most likely person who's going to buy sweatshirt number two from me is the one that just bought sweatshirt number one, right? And so when we think of that in regards to their user journey, I now have a clear answer of how I can remarket to them in the future. I can, you know, launch other offers to them. I can launch my joggers and my, my hoodies and all these other things just as an idea. But that customer is now segmented into a specific category that we can now, like you said, follow up with them and maximize customer lifetime value, which is real, where the real profit is made. Let's think about something else. Let's say that uh, you know one of our listeners uh, runs a company uh, that, that uses dealers or, or has okay. franchisees or has outlets of yep. some kind that you know, they're, they're like the, the manufacturer, the main one, and then they've got distribution outside of themselves. Let's talk about how yeah. we could use this, the formula that you're talking about, because let's say that they ran a centralized campaign. You know, yep. is there a way for them to then capture this information that farm out the leads based on some yep. formula? How, how would that work? Yeah. So I think a really, <laughs> a really easy example to think of this is like maybe real estate, right? So like, let's say that I'm, we'll just use um, Remax as an example, right? Huge uh, real estate, you know, broker that most of us probably know. So let's say that I'm Remax and I'm running this lead generation campaign like you like you said. I have probably at minimum regionalized brokers across the US. To keep it super simple, Northeast, Southeast, West Coast, Northwest. So if I'm running this um, nationwide campaign, then I can take a regionalized approach to then how I farm out those leads for my franchises, for example, my four franchises based on geographic location. Um, and I can even segment that data by like where the person opted in from. So, you know, if they're from New York and my, you know, Remax Northeast uh, franchise, you know, would want that lead, I can send that New York lead to my Northeast franchise and sort of, you know, continue that cycle. So just, just, so just real quick, what, what are the mechanics of that? Are, are you getting their, uh, their location from their IP address? Are you getting the location because you said, you know, maybe they're moving out of state, you know, what's the zip code of the area where you're moving so we can yeah. you know, help you to talk to the right person. I mean, how, how are you seeing guys do this? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, really pretty simple, just on the front end of where that prospect would opt in. Um, so to use like old school sales terminology, you know, we're going to turn them from a suspect into a prospect and then into a customer, right? So at that stage before they, you know, when they're at the level of seeing the ad, they are a suspect. When they come to the landing page and then they opt in, they then become a prospect. So to answer your question directly, it might be something as simple as the information collection where, you know, we're going beyond just collecting, you know, name, phone number, and email. And we might be collecting you know, the state that they're located in, you know, the, the zip code or et cetera. So that would for sure de be dependent upon the strategy of the campaign. So if it is, for example, maybe like a campaign around a really good offer that works in real estate all the time is how much is my home worth, right? And so that's sort of an indication of either I'm looking to buy or I'm looking to sell. And so more often than not in that scenario, that user is going to give the address of their current location. And so then we can sort of grab that on the front end of when they opt in, you know, and then if that lead is sent to that New York sort of regional office, you know, they know that that potential seller 
is in New York. And, you know, at that point after afterwards in the sales process, maybe they find out that they want to relocate to Arizona. Um, but, you know, and then not to get too much in the weeds, but then maybe they sub out and refer that lead to an agent, you know, in Arizona, you know, those guys have referral deals amongst each other, but you know, that's generally how it would work at the simplest level. You know, I, uh, it's funny. I, I, I kind of have my own way of languaging some of these things. I don't call them suspect prospect at the yeah. top of the funnel. They're a suspect. Yeah. They come out of the funnel. They're now they're a prospect because they've taken some action. The way, the way I kind of look at the world and you comment on this, what you think if it's kind of in the ballpark or not, but I, I think life is like playing volleyball. You know, I hit the ball to you and you hit the ball back. And if you drop the ball yeah. and walk away, the game's over, you know? So when you're having a conversation <laughs> yeah. or marketing or whatever you're doing, if the person isn't willing to play uh, and send yeah. the ball back. And so for me, the, the idea of getting somebody in that funnel and then taking an action, that's their, that's their way or my way, really, of finding out if they're playing ball with me. So if they're not willing yep. to give me some information, I'm not willing to, uh, you know, I'm not going to continue to play ball because that's it. And, and I actually call that raise your hand. But they've actually raised their hand and said, yep. I want to learn more. Yep. So, I mean, is that yeah, kind of I would say, ballpark? Yeah, what I would say on that, and this is where most salespeople fail, in my opinion, is our job at that level is to literally just not get in the way of the sale, right? So to your point, I've raised my hand. I want what you have. I'm interested to some level. Right. So at that stage, our only goal is to walk someone through the, the process from the sales perspective of making the decision that they've already said that they want to make and not give them any reasons not to buy. Which, which, which a lot of salespeople cannot help themselves from doing. Right. They, they, they just they just talk too much or they say yes. too much. And it's like, uh, you know, I, I get that. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, I could talk for hours on that whole part to the process too, but, but yeah, I, I like what you're saying there with regards to, you know, they're raising their hand, they're opting in, they are, they're a, they're a prospect. Um, and, you know, at that stage, they've already shown interest. Like the goal of the marketing campaign is to create interest in the thing that you have for them. That is the solution to the problem that they've said that they have. Right. And so, you know, there's a variety of ways to obviously overcome objection handling, which is really what the sales call is about. You're just there to, you know, listen to them, get the background context of their situation through discovery, position the solution, overcome the objections and get them to sign up, right? And so what we can take with that information is as we understand the objections, and this is where the real work happens for those that are really good at marketing is they then learn how to take those objections from the sales process and put it back up front into the core message of the marketing campaign so that they're then just overcoming the objections throughout the user journey, whether it's in the ad or the landing page or when that person opts in through the email flow that they then receive after they've opted in. So those objections are starting to get handled, which is just making it a layup for the salesperson at this point when they eventually get on the call, which they should just stay out of the way, ask the right questions, listen to the prospect and help them make the decision that the prospect is already telling you they want to make. Yeah. You know, one of the things that we do also is that we develop a, what we call an not an FAQ, but an LAQ instead of frequently okay. asked questions, likely to be asked questions. So nice. we, you know, we, we write down the answers that uh, people actually ask us questions about. 
So if this certain question is coming up all the time, we actually create a sheet that predicts their questions so that 80% of the questions that they might have are answered. Now, certain questions you want them to, to ask you because it gives you an opportunity to interact with them. But, you know, some questions yeah. are a little bit more mechanical. And, and I just find that's another thing that comes out of this process is that once you have their contact information, you can feed them more information that help move them along the process. Yeah, exactly. And there's a even more detailed process that we implement that's called the 10 objection framework, which is very similar to what you're referring to, where um, there's basically 10 questions subconsciously that most potential customers ask themselves before they make this buying decision. For example, some of those questions are like, how do I know this is real? What will this do for me? Um, et cetera. And they'll, they'll sort of subconsciously ask themselves these questions before they basically give you their credit card for, for lack of better words. And so when you can answer these 10 objections through your marketing campaign, you're creating so much intent before they ever reach the actual final, you know, decision-making process that you can use those objections to bake it into your actual sales page copy, landing page copy, your sales letter, your ad copy, et cetera. So that, well, to your point, yes, you can still engage them in those conversations and things on the call to really affirm their commitment to that process. Um, but we love using that stuff in our landing page and our sales copy as well, because it creates a very high intent buyer. You know, I'm just sitting thinking that um, for these, uh, you know, very high ticket B2B items, let's say you're selling a large piece of equipment to another yeah. company. You know, I mean, number one, the buyers are pretty easy to find because there aren't that many of them out there. And, and if they're interested, you bring them to a, to a web page where they fill out a form or they, they, they get a, a product data sheet or they learn something about your product. And, and ultimately, they express some interest and then a salesperson can connect with them. I yeah. mean, this is a pretty simple formula. I mean, it, it really, it, it completely eliminates the need for making cold calls. I mean, cold calls are yeah. something from the 80s and 90s and they don't really work anymore. Yeah, I mean, I'm a believer in inbound marketing for sure. Like if you can create a good, a good hook yeah. And a good offer. Like nobody wants to take your, your cold call anyways. Right. Like I don't, I get them all the time. They actually say scam likely now when you see them on the phone. Right. Um, yeah. Inbound marketing is where it's at. And so if, if you haven't found a way to make that work for your business, not only are you spending a ton of time on activities that generally underproduce nowadays, because it's so people just don't want to hear of it. Like you're investing a lot of time, energy, and resources into something that is like maybe what people are converting a half of a percent from cold calls and maybe turning one to two percent of total cold call volume into an actual appointment. Like that's just a waste of time, effort, and energy that's extremely inefficient. I'd rather use all that whole sales call team that I'm paying to go run ads and get leads to come to me who want my stuff. Yeah, I, I almost don't talk to anybody who doesn't raise their hand in some capacity, just because yeah. if, they, if they don't raise their hand, uh, the one step of the process that I don't need is to convince them that they need to yeah. talk to me. Right. It's one thing to help them decide to buy something, but it's another thing right. to convince them that they even need to have a conversation. Right. They have to come to that realization uh, by themselves through other, other mechanisms than, uh, than human labor.
So yeah, we're on we're on the same page there. I don't want to work any harder for my leads than I need to. <laughs> you know, you know what it is is life is hard enough to make it yeah. to throw extra rocks in your road and, and like that. Well, you know what, Will, Absolutely. you have uh, you've delivered on the promise of the show, which is uh, the inside track on on how all this works, the best, smartest, and fastest way to uh, drive new business using uh, digital technologies. And when somebody lives up to the promise on our show, that makes them an advantage player. And so you're an advantage player, and I. Appreciate love you it. on the show to share, man. Yeah, pleasure. It was great chatting with you. I love how we could banter a little sales and marketing today. Well, listen, maybe uh, maybe we'll need to do it again. Absolutely. All right, man. Listen, thanks for being on the show. Pleasure. You've been listening to Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. For more insights and to learn more, visit joelblock.com. How about a shout out and a huge thanks to our podcast show producer, David Wolf, and the team at Autovita Studios. Profit from the inside wouldn't be possible without these wonderful professionals. To learn more or to find out how you can launch and produce your own podcast show, reach out to www.audivita.com. That's A-U-D-I-V-I-T-A.com. Produced by Audivita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.